is Raina Campbell, your chief dream driver, and welcome to the No Parking Podcast, where through conversations and discussions with creators like yourself, we'll find interesting approaches to help you take your dreams out of park, put them in drive, and ride towards success. Hey, you guys, welcome to episode seven of the Dreams and Drive No Parking Podcast. And today our topic is going to be how to not go broke chasing your dreams. And our guest is Tiffany, the budget nista Aliche. Now, Tiffany is becoming one of America's favorite personal finance educators. She's also the best-selling author of The Live Richer Challenge and One Week Budget and has been featured on shows such as Good Morning America, Today Show, Forbes Business, Fox, and more. So I'm just so excited to have her talk about what we need to do as dream drivers if we want to make smart financial decisions for our ventures. She shares her own story of how she went from broke living at her parents' house to building a business that is helping over 80,000 women worldwide make smarter financial decisions. Hope you guys have a pen and paper out to take notes, but if you don't, you can check out our um, our show notes at dreamsanddrive.com, and if you're listening at SoundCloud or on iTunes, you can make sure to rate, subscribe, and review so that you can get future episodes delivered right to your phone. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy, and let me know what you think. Make sure to comment on today's episode when you're done. Talk to you soon, guys. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to the No Parking Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today's episode. Hey, Raina. I'm happy to be here. As you know, we're going to be talking all about how to not go broke chasing your dreams and how to build a community of ride or dies. And I know you're the perfect person to talk about these topics. No, I, I can't wait because I see a lot of young new entrepreneurs making some critical financial mistakes and hopefully I can help them avoid some of that. All right, so let's get to it. So, Tiffany, the first thing I love to ask our guests, and it's kind of a reflective question, who were you as a child? I think sometimes when you kind of look back, it can give you a lot of um, introspection into who you are today. So tell me, who was Tiffany the child? I was, it was strange. I was uh, uh, just, um, I guess, a study in opposites. I was like really wild and stuff at home. I had four sisters, so we were like little wild animals. (laughs) (laughs) like fussing and fighting, but playing and, you know, but then like out in public, I was actually really shy. Um, so I didn't, you know, I was not the type of kid to look in your eye. I always had my head down and, and it's kind of similar now in some ways that like when I speak on stage, I'm like wild, like, but fun and engaging. But if you were to get me like one-on-one and, you know, and I didn't know you, I would still be really like on the shy side. Um, I, I had I had big dreams even at, when I was a kid. I remember I had to be like, I don't know, maybe six or seven, and I was riding my bike, and for some reason, I stopped, and I thought to myself, one day, I want everybody in the whole entire world to know my name. I don't mar- remember why I was thinking that, because I think maybe I had heard a Michael Jackson song, and at the time, I thought the whole world knew his name, <laughs> and you know, and so as a kid, I said, I want that too, and I didn't know what for what purpose or whatever, I just... I just decided that. And when I was a kid, too, old ladies used to always tell me I was going to be a rich woman one day. And I couldn't understand why. But I would get that a lot. And so, yeah, that was me as a kid, kind of wild, a little bit shy, and always dreaming. 
It's so amazing, though, to hear you talk about how much of that has actually come true. You know, you mm-hmm. said when you were a kid, you had that moment where you said, people will know my name. And just mm-hmm. imagine that has come true. 60,000 or more women <laughs> know, you know, the Bajanista's name. And you have been such a pivotal role model in a lot of women's lives. So it's funny how dreams that you put into place at a young age just can actually evolve and and come true. Uh, yep. yep. <laughs> so let's talk about you growing the budget nista. I know that you have told your story a million times, <laughs> so I don't want to overwhelm you with um, recounting every detail. But maybe you can give us a short summary of what you know what launched you into causing into uh, launching the budget nista and some of the challenges you faced when you when you first uh, when you first started out. Well, I, the, the budget needs to kind of happen accidentally. I, I grew up in a household where money was talked about all the time. My father was a CFO and an accountant. And so he and my mom together, they had five girls. And it was just part of regular family chat around the table, like homework, family finances, who, you know, chores, that kind of thing. And so I took that with me and I would share with my friends what I'd learned at home, especially in college. Because that's when people were actually starting to make financial choices. So I would share, like, well, no, my dad said you should do it like this, you know? Um, And I just became the go-to girl. Everybody has a go-to girl for different things. Mm -hmm. You have a go-to girl for, you know, is this outfit cute? The go-to girl for, can you help me with my hair? I was the go-to girl if you had, like, a money question. And I didn't think it was ever going to move past that. I, I didn't even think about it. It was just part of my life, like, knowing about personal finance. And it really wasn't until I had gotten my first job out of college. I was teaching preschool. And because I had I had my degree in business, had some internships, hated them. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do this. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember being so afraid, like, oh, God. Like, a lot of my life has been has been driven by, like, fear of not wanting to have a sucky life, you know? So I was like, oh, God, these internships suck. Like, what am I going to do? And when I was in college, I used to work at a daycare center um, on campus to like um, for work study so I can like put money toward my student loans. And I was like, oh, I really liked working with kids. And I think I want to teach like third or fourth grade, but I didn't have my teaching degree. I'd gone to school for business. So instead, I said, you know what? Let me go teach preschool, go back to school and get my teaching certificate, which I did. And then I'll go on to older grades. But I ended up staying teaching preschool for 10 years. And while I was there, I learned how to teach. So this is like lesson number one, Mm -hmm. is that there are no coincidences in your life and all experiences are valuable. Everyone thought I was crazy for teaching preschool. Like, oh, you have your degree in business. I went on to get my master's in education. Then they really thought I was crazy. Like, what are you doing here? You're wasting your life, you know? But what I didn't realize and what they didn't realize is that it was so pivotal. Like one of the reasons why the budget needs to do so well, my brand, is because I'm a really good teacher. And where did I learn that from? I learned it in the hardest grade to teach, preschool. There is no harder person to teach than a three or four-year-old. They what have makes no it point so of, hard? <laughs> because they have no point of reference. Like if I'm telling a college student, you know, put your name on the line here, a three-year-old's like, what's the name? What line? What's a line? <laughs> you know, if I could tell a three, like, okay, this is red like an apple. What's an apple? You're like, Jesus, I got to teach you. <laughs> so there's like no point. You have to literally build from the very beginning. There are literally three-year-olds who don't even know their names because they've been called Jojo their whole life. And they're like, no, your name's Joseph. Who's Joseph? You know? <laughs> so, and plus two, you have to be engaging. You have to educate 
but be fun. You have to literally be so many things at one time. You have to be nurturing. You have to be able to read their emotions because they're not able to fully articulate how they're feeling. So you have to be able to kind of test and read the crowd and adjust your teaching style accordingly. So all of these skills that you don't necessarily need for older grades, I learned 10 years straight of every day learning how to be a fun, engaging, educational um, teacher. And so when my school closed, it it closed during the height of the recession. And in that 10 years, I actually started teaching their parents how to manage their money because their parents would ask me to borrow money sometimes. And I thought, well, I can teach them how to budget so they can stop asking me to borrow money. So when the kids would go to sleep during nap time, I would have parent university and they would come in and I would teach them how to budget and save and stuff. So all of that, I'm thinking it's all these random things. My school closes because they lost their funding. And then I thought, you know what? I think I want to do this teaching thing, but teaching financial education full time. And I had all of these skill sets. Like so many of my friends who are speakers are like, oh my God, how do you know how to put together a presentation? Or how come you're so engaging? I'm like, man, I've been doing this for 10 years in front of three-year-olds. That's a tough crowd. If you are not fun, they're like, um, I'm throwing my cereal at you. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that was really kind of like my journey that, so some people listening might think like, oh man, like what I'm doing now, it's like nothing, it has nothing to do with what I want to do. And I, I I venture to say, and I challenge you to see that, no, you are learning a specific skill set that you're likely going to use in one shape, you know, one shape or form, you know, that you don't know where those things can lead you to and to lean in wherever you are and learn the lessons wherever you are. And that's so true because a lot of our dream drivers, they might just be scared to even take the step into realizing that they can monetize and they can build a business based off their skill sets that they've acquired over the years. So it's so it's so good to hear you say that. So let's talk about some of the challenges, though. Was there anything that was really difficult for you to figure out when you first launched the Budgetista yes. as a firm? Everything. I didn't know anything. I mean, I'd gone to school for business, but I'd, I'm like, truthfully, I chose my major. I'm always so random. Like, I told my dad, I think I want to go to school for psychology. He said, absolutely not. I'm not paying for you to get a psychology degree and have no job afterwards. And I was like, man, I remember being like really upset. And my mom's like, no, choose something more practical. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I mean, if I get a degree in business, I can get a job, right? And that's literally how I chose my major. And then when I looked at like the business like um, concentrations, I was like, which one doesn't seem hard? <laughs> oh, my God. You're just like me. <laughs> yeah. I-, I went to Princeton and I felt like everybody was like, oh, you have to do some fancy thing. Chemical engineering, biomedical. I was like, I like sociology. I like reading. Yep. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yes. And that's how I felt. Like I just and so I just was like, hmm. I looked down the list. I was like economics. Nope. Finance. Nope. I said, ooh, marketing, that seems like reading and fun. So that's what I chose. And you see another thing that seemed random, marketing. And like one of the reasons why the Budgetista, my brand does so well, is because I'm good at marketing. And I randomly chose that major. And so (laughs) I really believe like that things happen for a reason. Um, And so, yeah, so one of the hardest things, honestly, was everything. I did not know how to run a business. I did not know... I mean, I knew how to teach three and four-year-olds, but I had to learn to adjust to teach adults. Um, I did not know how to price myself. I literally knew nothing other than, the. Uh, this is what most entrepreneurs know. They know that, they know how to do the one thing they're good at. Like, I know how to bake cakes. <laughs> I don't know how to run a bakery, you know? Or I know how to braid hair, but I don't know how to run a barbershop, you know? And so... 
if you're good at that one thing, you have to know you still have to learn how to run a business. So how did you learn how to run a business? Because a lot of our dream drivers, they might be in that same stage. They might, you know, be good at styling clothes. They might be good at doing hair, but they don't know the business behind it. How did you get good at that? On the job training. So you do one thing, one foot in front of the other. There's no, I mean, you can read as many books as you want. You can go to business school. You can do all that stuff. But it's the same thing like being a teacher. Like, I don't care how much you read. You're not going to learn how to teach until you actually step into a classroom. And you're not going to learn how to run a business unless you run a business. So it just started slow. My, what happened was in the beginning, I did a lot of volunteer work. So I had lost my job. I was living off unemployment. I ended up having to move back home with my parents because I could not afford my mortgage. I bought a house at 25. So at 29, I was back home. I spent my 30th birthday in my middle school bed, like looking up at the ceiling <laughs> thinking, yeah, this can't be life. Did you have those stars? You know how people had the stars? I God, no, but it was my extra medium bed. So like a small <laughs> medium because my sister um, who was in college at the time or like I think she was high school, but she had like my high school room, which was like big and airy. It was like a separate apartment in the basement. And she was not giving that up just because I was back home. <laughs> and so here I am in my medium bed thinking like, is this life? I'm 30 years old, like living at home and sleeping in my middle school bed. What? You know, mm-hmm. and so um, I started I, I did have unemployment. So I was living off that just kind of like depressed, like, oh, this is my life. And I, I started um, volunteering because my dad, who was retired every morning, he would get up and just look at me like, so you're just going to lay there. <laughs> and and you, your like, parents are um, Nigerian. you're Nigerian. My parents are Caribbean. I know Caribbean and African households. It's like, what are you doing with exactly. your life? Exactly. <laughs> what are you doing? So and I, so I was like, you know, I have to leave the house. So I started volunteering just to try to figure out what did I want to do next. And I volunteered for a bunch of um, organizations, especially ones that cater to kids. And I found myself really enjoying teaching them financial education. Then I started writing curriculum for these organizations and I started teaching it for them. Like in the community, they would send me out and I started really getting good at it and enjoying it. And then people started asking me how much I cost. And I was like, oh no, no, I don't cost anything. And my best friend is like, you're broke. You better cost something. (laughs) And that's literally how the business was born. Someone asked me and said, how much do you cost? And I said, uh, let me get back to you. I asked some of my friends, they were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What should we say? What should you say? (laughs) Literally, that's how it went. And I was like, my friend was like, what about $150? I'm like, you think they'll pay that? And so I said $150 and the person said yes too quickly. And I realized, "Uh uh-oh, I underbid myself. (laughs) And I think I was listening to one of your um, podcasts. I think it was a happy black woman where you were talking about how one, uh, you were, you were doing a, um, a speech or some kind of seminar and the woman said she wished you had a she wished yes. you would have you know quoted more yes way more it was mm-hmm. like so this is maybe like not even maybe this was last year so obviously I make I make way more than $150 to speak mm-hmm. so I at the time my price list was like $1,500 and a big huge corporation like a huge multi-million dollar corporation had reached out to me and I'd spoken stuff and done stuff with them before and they wanted me to do a tour with them, like five city tour stop. And they asked me how much um, per stop. I wanted to say $5,000 a stop, but I was nervous. And I thought they're not going to pay me that because right now my, my rates are $1,500. So I told them $3,500. And I thought, whoa, that's big money. <laughs> what? I, I submitted it 3,500 times five. And I was like, okay. And one of the executives, a, a woman of color, she like pulled me to the side like after one of the tour stops and I was like rocking it. And she was like, oh my God, Tiffany, you're so good. You're so great. 
But I got to tell you, I can't believe he submitted that proposal. And I'm thinking, oh, God, it was too much. And she was like, that was nothing. She said, we pay speakers like you between ten dollars and $15,000 a tour stop. And I nearly cried thug tears. And I was like, <laughs> what? And I was even telling her, like, nah, not me. Like, you know, you're a bugger. You're not paying. She said, Tiffany, how you going to tell me? I'm the one who signs off on it. And I was like, wait, but wait. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know how to feel. But I said, you know what? I went back up to my hotel room and I changed my prices online. And now for a keynote, it's 12500 That's how much. I went from $1,500 to 12500 in one year because she was like, no, are you kidding me, Tiffany? You're at a level now that, that you, you can command this, this um, amount of money. And I've been getting it. And so she really helped to push me to the next level. And it was a good lesson that if you're a new entrepreneur and you're not sure of someone's budget, ask them, what is your budget? A lot of times they're like, I don't really, no, no. What is your budget? That way I can know if I can work within it. That's, what, that's a, a good question to ask so you don't make the mistake I made. So what are some other mistakes that you think a lot of beginning entrepreneurs make when it comes to their finances? They spend too much money up front. So I call it looking like a business versus having a business. This is looking like a business, having business pens, having business stationery and business, even having business cards, depending on what kind of business you have. Having like a website, all of these things that look like a business, that's not a business. Let me tell you who has a business. There's a 14-year-old girl in your neighborhood who braids hair on the weekends and someone pays her. She has a business, you do not. That's what I tell people because I'm like, a business is if you have a product or service that people want to buy and they do. So her product or her service is I braid hair. People want to buy it and they pay her on the weekends. Now, if you have a pen and you have stationery and you have a website, you have all these things and no one is buying anything, you have no business. And so it is critical, especially in the beginning, that you minimize how much money you spend up front because lots of people never have a business because they spend so much money on, up front and they can't recoup it. And so that they're, they're, what would be a business closes down. So in the beginning, this is how you know if you should spend that money. If that thing you're about to buy does not directly lead to more money, you don't need it in the beginning. Example, if I am a baker and I'm like, oh, I really want to bake. So I go out and I get a bakery. That is a poor move because in the beginning, because I cannot sell my bakery necessarily to make money. Now, if I'm a baker in the beginning, I need to focus on eggs, flour, milk. Why? Because I can put those things together, sell it right away and get my money back. And so in the beginning, at least this is what I believe, in the beginning, you really want to make sure that you're putting out money in a way that directly gets you money back. So if you are, um, if you are a website designer, then yes, getting a website is a good idea because you want to show people what you can do. Mm-hmm. But for example, my, my um, accountant, he's amazing. He just got a website like a few years ago. Meanwhile, he has NBA stars, NFL players that he does, it, he does taxes and stuff for. He didn't need a website. He got one because he finally was like, oh, okay. But he didn't need one. Why? Because the word of mouth was crazy, you know? And so he got a lot of business that way. So I, I really caution new entrepreneurs that in the beginning, really only putting out money for things that you can directly sell or directly yield money back from. And then as you grow, you'll be able to get those other things that look like a business. So what about budgeting? Do you have any budgeting tips? So let's say you have 
a set budget for, you know, what you want to spend on, the stuff that's going to get you more business, what are some key things you should be thinking about as you divvy that up? So in the beginning, you you really, 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 Mark Cuban said it best, that basically you have to live so humbly in the beginning. Like unless you have like a trust fund with like millions of dollars, that means your personal budget. If you're a new entrepreneur and you have cable, wrong move. If you're a new entrepreneur and you're still like shopping and getting your, your nails and stuff done, unless your business dictates that. Like let's just say I'm a new entrepreneur and I'm a nail technician and I'm an, or I'm a new entrepreneur and my business is like like being on TV or, or I have to look a certain way. That I can understand. But you can't live the same way as if you had a regular job, not in the beginning, because every extra penny has to go to your business. So this is what happens at some point. You know, you're putting money into your business and you hope that you have enough money to last you until your business starts making money. Now, what happens is if you don't live simply in your regular life, not your business life, but in your regular life, you are going to be eating up all of that business money. You might eat up six months worth of business money because you want to live regular instead of pulling back for six months. Now, what that means is your business was going to make a profit in six months, but now you don't have enough money to last you. So now you got to go back to a regular job. Mm. So really the key is when you're starting your business is to cut all the way back in your regular life to budget yourself yourself down to the bare basics. It's not going to be like that forever. But in the beginning, just enough until your business starts making you money. And then that way your business can live off the money it makes versus living off of you and your savings. So how did this play out in your life in the budget Nista and growing the budget Nista? What? I was living like, people, people can't even live like how I live. You know? <laughs> so at first, like I said, moving home at 30, that's not sexy, but I did it. Then after that, I stayed with my parents for like nine months. And then I was like, all right, like these rules, I can't, I'm 30, I can't be home at midnight. You're, you're all about And so I moved in with my sister for nine months and she couldn't take me after a while because she was like, so you're not paying for groceries. You're not paying for lights. I was living in her living room and she was just like, uh, you got to go back to mommy and daddy. And I was like, no. So I like raided, which I do not suggest, but I raided my, um, my 401k Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, this is enough money to last me a year. And if it don't work, you got to go back to work, Tiffany. So, so I used that money and, um, a friend of mine was like, Tiffany, there's a house here in New Jersey and right now it's totally empty and I ran out of room for 500 bucks and I was like what a room like you just came home from jail room (laughs) and she was like I mean yeah but nobody nobody lives here and I was like I don't know and it was in Newark New Jersey so Newark for those of you who are unfamiliar is like Compton Detroit um just think about you know any hoods around your way that's Newark and so I had worked in Newark when I taught preschool, so I knew about Newark. And I was like, girl, I don't know. But at the same time, it was like move back home with your parents or Newark, New Jersey. So Newark, New Jersey it was. And so I rented a room with her in this house. And then we said, you know what? We don't want random people living here. So we started all of our other entrepreneur friends who are also broke. We started recruiting these other women saying, you want to live here? You want to live here? And we got the house full with about five women. And it was the best experience ever. I can imagine. What? I mean, at first, it, what sounds bad, you know, like when people think about like living simply, it doesn't have to suck because I'm paying 500 bucks a month. The place, the house actually was on this historic block. It was a brownstone, beautiful. Like it was a, a historic house. And it was not even like maybe two blocks from the train station to New York City. 
it was like right downtown. All of us were basically entrepreneurs helping each other out. My first book, The One Week Budget, the girl who, the girl who had the room next to me, Nina, she did the book cover. My friend Diessa, who lived upstairs, she had a nonprofit where she would travel the world and help girls. And so I've been with her to Haiti. I've been with her to like 10, 12 different countries while we were all broke because she had this nonprofit and it funded that. I mean, I just got so much value from every day being able to bounce off my dreams with these other women who are also living their dreams. So it just became like the best click ever. And um, I learned so much. I was there for about two years. And so most people would be like, oh, like some of my friends were like, yo, you're crazy. I can't believe you live in a room. You used to have a, a condo. Like you fell off. And I'm like, did I? Because now I, I can afford, because I live so simply and I had a 99 Toyota Camry, which I still have. Mm-hmm. But I lived so simply that I had enough money left over, even though I was on unemployment, to invest in my business. And so now here I am, fast forward, where honestly, what I make in a month is what I used to make in a year as a teacher. And starting this year, with I have a new project that's coming out that will, will take my business to a million dollar a year plus business a year. So all of that sacrifice to be able to say, you know what, though? Like, I work for myself, I work largely from home, and I'll be running a million dollar a year business. Wow. And when you, when you were, you know, a few years ago, did you ever have a number on what success looked like to you? No, honestly, to me, it was more about the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, success to me was more about just like, I knew I wanted to make enough to pay my bills. So I kind of had like, not like, ooh, I mean, I, I did say like, ooh, you know, everybody says it'd be nice to be a millionaire, but I didn't really think about that as like a measuring stick for success. It was, I wanted to make enough to pay my bills and be comfortable, which I thought was like maybe like $100,000 a year. But ultimately, I wanted to make a difference. And I wanted to do what I set out I said I was going to do. That to me drives me more than anything. If I say I'm going to, you know, walk these two miles, if I walk those two miles, that gives me the greatest joy. It's to say it, dream it and do it. Because literally, I will have made up something random in my mind and somehow, some way, without any prior knowledge, without any real support, have made that happen. So that really is what makes me like, you know, gets me going. So before we segue into just building your community, what are your favorite resources that our dream drivers can, you know, take advantage of that are that can help them with their budget finance questions? So you said so. What finance questions can people ask themselves? No, no, I'm sorry. What are some of your fa- what are your, some of your favorite resources or sites okay. or platforms that people can go to to kind of get help with those questions that they may have? So, if you're wanting to save, I mean, well, first I'll just do like a plug for myself. Is that <laughs> truthfully, like, I started this online free challenge to teach people step by step how to save and how to reduce your spending, and it's the Live Richer Challenge, and you can sign up. It's completely free, and you get to join the awesome community that Raina was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's livericherchallenge.net. So that's one. Um, Some other resources. I know Mint is a online free application where you can they'll help you create this budget for yourself and link to your your bank accounts. So that's definitely one. Truthfully, I mean, to me, there's nothing better than just a plain old Excel spreadsheet, you know, where you kind of just write down what your bills are and you write down what you're making and you see what's left. And then you decide how much of what's left am I going to put toward my business? You really like I can't stress enough how important it's going to be to live simply. 
And that if you're not willing basically to take the L now, then you definitely can't get the W later. You know, and so people are going to say, and that's why it's important more so than anything to surround yourself with other um, entrepreneurs because they get it. Like my friends who lived in the house, they're not judging me for living in a room because here, here we are. You know, my other friends who had like regular jobs thought I was nuts. I can't tell you how many friends were like, are you okay? <laughs> Tiffany, this is insane. You should just go back. And now they're on the bandwagon like, oh, my God, the budget needs to so good. And honestly, I don't think it was them hating. They just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have entrepreneur friends, they're, th- your regular friends, the ones who have nine to five jobs and insurance and all that kind of great stuff, they're just not going to get it most of the time. And those friends can actually be the ones that can push you through, you know, when you're when you're at park, you know, so the whole our whole community is called Dreams and Drive No Parking. So those are the friends that are going to know how to get you out of park and get you into drive, too. Exactly. Exactly. I think that pushing I mean, there's times that we I call it me and my friends call it talking each off, each other off the ledge. Like there's times when you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And you're like at the edge and your toes are like at the at the ledge of, a, of a, your mental tall building. You want to leap and jump mm-hmm. and just say, I don't want to live this life anymore. I'm gone. Cruel world, you know. And so you call one of your entrepreneur friends and they talk you back off the ledge like you can do it. You can. I know it's hard, but you got it. You got it. And so having those friends are critical. It's, and as you grow, the three levels of friends you want to have, you want to have As far as entrepreneurs go, you want to have new entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who have started after you, meaning folks that kind of look up to you because they kind of keep you fresh and it keeps you, um, they help to give you perspective with how far you've come. Mm -hmm. That's one. You want to have peers. So you want to have basically mentees. You want to have peers. Mostly you, you want to have a lot of peers if you can. And peers are just people who are basically on your level. Those are the people you're going to interact with daily. Like, what about this? What do you think about this color? You know, what about this texture? How's this muffin taste? Can you look at my presentation real quick? That's what you want. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then you want to have mentors, people who are ahead of you, who are doing better. So you can be like, okay, so three years ago you were here. How much did you charge? Or, you know, um, am I? how does my website look? Does that company... Are they interested in this type of product or service? And so those are the three tiers. And those, if you have those three tiers, they will really help you to succeed much faster. So let's talk about your, um, your the Budget Nista community. Across your different social media platforms, you have such an engaged audience. What have been some of your secrets into growing your platform and growing your community? Honestly, it starts from, it's going to sound corny, but it starts with intention. Like, if your intention is to take, people will feel that. If your intention is to genuinely give without, without expectation of receiving, people will feel that. And so my intention, whenever I start any new project, is to always give, give, give. That's it. To give, to serve, to help, to teach. Like, so when I pour that energy in, it's reflected in the way I communicate with people. It's reflected in the things that I write and how I write them. And so as a result, people are gravitate to that and it, it just produces positive energy reflected back to me. So they're so engaged because there's so much to receive from me. They know that they can come and take from my table and not be worried, oh God, I got to give Tiffany something because she's doing, no, no, just come take as much as you want, as long as you want. So it feels very comfortable to keep, to keep coming back to the table. And as a result, they bumped into other people at the table who are like, oh, you're here too? Oh, okay. 
And before you know it, this feeling of camaraderie, this feeling of like receiving, this feeling of giving just makes everybody feel good. And as a result, they stay. They stay and they interact. And so, yeah, to me, energy is everything. The energy that you project is, is going to be projected back to you. And that's so crazy that you said that because when I joined the Dreamcatcher group, I was so surprised to see how many mutual friends <laughs> I had in the group. I was like, wait, I didn't even know this person reads. I didn't even know this person likes other things on Facebook other than, you know, dance videos. So it was just so interesting to see, you know, how how much people are tuning into your message, Tiffany. Oh, thank you. You know, someone told me that the other day. They were like, girl, I was in here like my mom's in here. <laughs> You know, and honestly, it's so crazy because because I'm just home, like, you know, doing the work. I don't know what it looks like from the outside. I mean, I know we're doing well, but it's not until I meet someone who's like, Tiffany, like, you have no idea how much you helped me. Or Tiffany, you have no idea how much this thing changed. Or you just, there's no, I, I can't see it, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. of course, you know, sometimes people will write me, but... I only am always curious what it looks like on the outside, you know, because I'm just in the trenches doing the work. So I don't necessarily get to see how it's transformed someone unless they tell me. And I know one of the things that you, as somebody who studied marketing in school, you know, knowing your target demographic is also very important, right, for any entrepreneur. How did you pick who it was that you were going to target? They picked me. So in the beginning, like every entrepreneur, I, I help everybody. <laughs> every entrepreneur says that. No, you don't. And if you help everybody, you help nobody. And it is, um, it's important to pick your niche. So what, I mean, I started speaking and teaching and I would say like I'm helping everyone. And one day I stumbled upon my analytics on my Facebook group. So Facebook, you have like a business page and on my business page, it's just a budget needs on Facebook. And I saw they had like this analytics section where you can kind of see who your audience was. And I was like, whoa, it said like, 78% women ages 25 to 44, and this is where they live. And I was like, oh, well, there goes my audience. So it wasn't even like I picked them. Mm -hmm. They picked me. I was speaking, 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 and this is who was listening. So that's the critical piece is that you can think you're talking to whoever you want, but it's even more important that you, that you understand who's really listening. And that's when I started speaking directly to that woman. And so I stopped speaking to guys, honestly. Not to say that guys, because guys always get mad. Oh, it's not there. Meanwhile, <laughs> I have 80,000 people signed up for the challenge. You want to know how many guys? 500. Why would I speak to the guys? Mm -hmm. 500. That's not even, is that even 1%? <laughs> you know? And so what that means is just that it's, it's important to speak to who's listening because you're going to put your marketing money toward that. You're going to put your energy. So why put energy toward people who are not listening? And so it doesn't mean that I always tell guys, I don't turn your way. You can certainly sign up, but I'm not going to put my energy and time toward 1% when 99% is this particular demographic. And I think even more importantly is knowing when you need to pivot. So some people may listen, but they not they might not actually take the action. So they may know that guys, let's say, you know, I was starting the Budgetista and I saw that, you know, only 500 guys are, are signing up compared to 80,000 women. If I didn't actually pivot and if I still tried to talk to only guys, then that would be a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they get stuck on what they initially thought and they don't realize that it's okay to change and yes. to evolve. 
No, it's true. Because I had to. Because in the beginning, it was just open, open, open. Oh, for everybody. And then I was like, Tiffany, it's like 70. I mean, that's a lot. There's hardly any guys listening. Why are you talking to everybody? And so that's honestly the Live Richer Challenge was was the first time I specifically started talking to women. If you look at the budgetnista.com mm-hmm. and the colors and the branding, it's very neutral centric. It's like greens and and blue and white and gray. If you look at the liverichardchallenge.net, it's maroon, it's purple. It's very clear this is a page for women. Even even the logo, my budgetnista B is a very utilitarian B. If you go to the LiveRichardChallenge.net, um, you see the logo. It is curvy. It is pretty. It's very clear when I made the switch from just doing the Budget Nista to having the sub-brand, the Live Richer brand, who I was speaking to. Because it's critical that if you – greatness is polarizing. What that means is great brands, the difference between a good and a great brand, a great brand literally and on purpose pushes people away so they can pull closer their audience. The reason why is this, is that the more I tell the women, you know, this is just for you, the more the guys get mad, the more they're like, oh, when, 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 Tiffany's not talking to us, the more the women are like, whoo, thank you, girl. I'm staying over here. Because people like to feel like there's something special over here. It's just for me. And so I'm telling you that it, most entrepreneurs, and it, that's not something for newbies. Most newbies are not ready for that. But if, if you can push people away who are not part of your target market, you're going to pull closer those who you really want to talk to and build loyalty even stronger. And which one of your platforms has been the best or your social media platforms have been the best for growing your, your audience? Um... I would say it like definitely I get the most engagement in my Facebook group, the private Live Richer group. Mm-hmm. But I would say what really grew my audience was the was the Live Richer Challenge. Okay. So I had so having something, having a platform where we could collectively work on goals at the same time was critical. People love working in community, especially women. So I here I did the Live Richer Challenge, which launched every January. Well, not every, this is our second January, but we'll be doing it every January. So the way the challenge works is for a period of three weeks, we're collectively all working on the same financial goals that I set out for you guys. And then we report back in the group. That alone of thousands and tens of thousands of women worldwide, over 91 countries participated, working on similar goals made us bond together. If you look in the group, women are meeting without me. They're, they just had a meeting in South Carolina. They oh, wow. had one in New York the other day. They had another one in Philly, I think. They have another one in D.C. They bonded over a common goal, which was savings. And so if you can create some sort of common goal with your, your community, you are going to see that they're going to grow. Because ultimately, the goal is to grow beyond you. You, want, you always want to be like you know in their mind when they're, when they're together, but... Ultimately, like Oprah's not thinking about every single like Oprah's club, Oprah's reading club. People are reading books and they're not thinking about Oprah, but she's still somewhere in the mist as that, you know, as it relates to what they're doing. If they have like a reading book club based upon her book suggestions. And so that's my ultimate goal. But yeah, the, the challenge was critical and that was free. People thought I was crazy for giving away so much value for free, mm-hmm. but no, it was the best thing. It literally quadrupled my business. Free quadrupled my business. And how does it make you feel as an entrepreneur to just see how far you've come as, you know, as a business, as a brand, as a person over the past few years? 
honestly, sometimes, sometimes I don't notice. And then it's sometimes like every once in a while I'll head to like Amazon or I'll read the <laughs> comments. Like, cause Amazon, one of my books has like 200 reviews and literally it's like 90% positive. And I'm reading the comments and I'm like, oh my God, like they talk about me <laughs> in the world. And so I'll let it soak in and I'm like, whoa, it's so surreal. And then I read the comments on Facebook. A woman the other day wrote, and I was like, what in the world? She said, Tiffany, I just want to thank you. I don't even think you realize how much you changed my life. She was like, a year and a half ago, I was living in a shelter, pregnant, after I left an abusive relationship. And now I own my own car. I own my own home, all because I took your challenge. You have no idea. I took my credit score from a 300 to a 700. And I'm like, wait, what? Are you sure you're talking about me? (laughs) (laughs) Just because, like, I don't... Like I said, because I'm home, it's just me, myself, and my boo at home. So it just, I don't get to necessarily see that. And so when I like to read and I like to reflect back and look through old Facebook posts or old Twitter comments just to see how far I've come, um, and it just blows me away, especially Facebook, because my Facebook timeline is like the best like scrapbook, because whenever something big happens for my brand, I post it there, and so I can look back and be like, wow, I remember when I was excited for speaking for 150 bucks, now here I am at Mm $12,000. So what's next for the Budgetista? So the biggest thing I have coming up next, we actually launch in a few weeks, um, is I am doing a, uh, an academy. So the challenge is something that's free, mm-hmm. and I give that away every year, and it's open throughout the year. And the women in the challenge were like, we want more. We want to learn how to invest. We want to learn how to negotiate. We want to learn how to fix these student loans. Um, and there were certain financial things that I was not, that's not my specialty. And I thought, well, what if I get instructors from around the country, the best people that I know, and who are certified in these things to come teach these courses online? And so they said yes. And so I started the academy. It's going to be a monthly fee, something really reasonable. It'll be a monthly fee and you will have access to all of these courses, investing, negotiating, student loans, credit, uh, beyond the basics, uh, traveling on a budget. I'm doing a budget needs to business series where I'm telling you all of the tricks of the trade of how I started my business for, for like on a dime. And so all of this for a, a small monthly fee and that's the Academy and it launches um, in March. So I'm super, super excited about it. That's the next biggest thing. And what keeps you going, Tiffany? When there are times, you know, I know we all go through it, times that we don't feel like waking up, times that we don't want to do any work in our business. But what keeps you going in those times when you don't, when you feel like giving up? What keeps me going? I mean, sometimes there are times when I'm like, I don't feel like doing this. But what really keeps me going is the fact that I, I actually enjoy it. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy financial education. Sometimes passion is the only thing that pays, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you are not enjoying it, I mean, I, there's literally days where I'm like, if I didn't actually like this thing right here, I couldn't do it. It's just because people, you know, it, with the good comes the bad messages or just comes the people pulling or try to take from you. So some days it can be a lot. Some days, like my inbox right now, my email, I'm like, oh, my God, it is so much. I was just telling my, I have a COO my chief um, operating officer. And I was like, what are we going to do about these emails? Because we're launching the academy, so I just don't have as much time to get to them. I need to get an assistant. And the email every day, it's like at least 100 or so. And I'm like, Jesus, you know? 
And so sometimes it can be so overwhelming. You're just like, I'm just going to take a nap, which I do because I'm a <laughs> napaholic. But what keeps me going is the challenge of it all. Like the academy is kicking my butt. Someone told me, oh, you have the gold, golden touch, Tiffany. Everything you touch works out. I'm like, what? I wish you could see me crying on Tuesdays. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like the academy is not <laughs> Like, even the challenge, it took me a full year to get that thing up and running. Every day, hours and hours of working on it. It was not easy. Things don't turn to gold. I had to dig the gold out from the ground, dust it off, and then crack it open, and then dust it off some more. No, it's so much work. And if I didn't actually enjoy the process and enjoy, like, the teaching of it, then... I, you know, I wouldn't be here. And so, and some days nothing keeps me going. I just take a nap and I'm like, I'm not doing any work. I'm not answering any emails. I'm just taking a break, you know? And, but I, like I said, I enjoy helping people. Like at my core, I'm a teacher. So once you find out what you are at your core, are you a giver? Are you a learner? Are you a healer? Are you a doer? Like once you learn at your core what you are, that will help to order your steps. Because at my core, I'm a teacher. And as long as I'm teaching, I'm happy. All right. Thank you so much, Tiffany. So we have a bonus question from our our, uh, Dreams and Drive community. And this one comes from Tina Jackson, who's a recent college graduate who has dreams of owning her own health consultancy business one day. And her question for you is, how do you increase your credit score if you have very low income? So if to increase your credit score, there's a few things. Your credit is made up of five components. There's inquiries, which is how many times someone other than you has looked at your credit score that brings down your score. So you don't want to open up new credit. So that's what inquiries are when you're opening up new credit. There is credit history. Um, Credit history is payment history, I mean. Payment history is 35% of your score. So what that really just means is, do you pay on time? Do you pay what they ask you to pay? That's payment history. So one thing you can do is pay on time. It doesn't matter if you're paying the minimum, well, it does matter, but at the very least, pay the minimum and pay before it's due. Pay on time. 30% of your score is something called utilization. This will really help to boost your score. Really, you have to get your utilization under, under I would say, if you're really trying to raise your score, under 20%. But you are not supposed to use more than 30% of your credit. So if you have a $100 um, limit on your credit card, the maximum is $30. You should, you should have um, as a balance. People think their maximum is $100. No, no. Your maximum is 30 Anything over 30%, you are bringing down your score. So if you can bring down your utilization to under 30%, that will just keep you level. But if you can put it between 10 and 15%, that will actually bring your score up. All right. So, Th- oh, sorry. I thought you were done. <laughs> no, yeah, no. So I was going to say utilization is really key. And pay off. So this is a quick one. If you have a, a credit card with a zero balance, charge like 10 bucks automatically, like your gym membership, let them charge 10 bucks or 20 bucks a month and pay it off in full every month. If you do that five, 10 bucks a month, pay it off a credit card in full. You're going to see your credit score jump like Jordan. I think I was, I was on your, um, I was on your YouTube and I, I was watching your video earlier today. You said how to get your credit score to jump like Jordan. So uh-huh. that tip. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's one of my favorites. <laughs> All right, so Tiffany, we are just going to do our quick lightning round. So in this part of our interview, we like to ask our guests to uh, listen to this prompt. So I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And this kind of connects back to our whole 
parking metaphor. So mm-hmm. I'm basically going to be uh, saying the words in the gear shift. So park, reverse, neutral, drive. And I want you to tell me what you think of when you hear those. Okay? Okay. Park. Stagnant, not moving, not growing. Reverse. Um, the house next door. That's where I used to live when I lived with all of my friends. I'm like, I'm not trying to go back there though. <laughs> Neutral. Staying where I am now, just not creating. I have, I really want to do a children's book. And I feel like if I don't do one, then I'll, then I have not moved forward. That's just a dream of mine. Drive. Going for it. Just starting a family, doing my children's book, doing the academy and any other thing that kind of comes to mind. All right. That's it, Tiffany. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure, and I'm sure our dream drivers are going to enjoy all the knowledge that you shared today. Thank you. Can I tell them where they can, where they can find me? Yep. So if you're an entrepreneur, you should do this as well. You should get all of your platforms to be the same name. So I am at thebudgetista.com, and I am The Budgetista on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Periscope, Twitter, everywhere. And so you don't have to look around. So if you're an entrepreneur, you should try your best to do that. So it's like Fashionista, but instead it's the budget Nista with an N. I've been snapping behind the scenes stuff while we've been talking. So I am about to add you in Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, I'm not even gonna lie. I'm like, I don't even ever really snap. But yes, definitely add me though. <laughs> you myself, have it. One I day you might doing it more. <laughs> You don't want somebody to come up and then steal your name and be like, I'm the budget Nista. Exactly. And that's honestly why I tell you, go grab your name. If you have a name, grab it on every platform, whether you use it or not. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And I'm just so thankful to Tiffany for coming on and talking to us all about how we cannot go broke chasing our dreams and giving us all those great tips that she did. Um, I also want to say thank you to everyone who has been a supporter of the podcast thus far. Without you guys, I don't know how I could keep going. Honestly, every week when I launch a podcast, I'm always so scared. I'm always like, oh, my God, is anyone going to listen? Is this going to be helpful to anyone? But when I get feedback, when I get emails, I know that it's worth it. I know that believing in yourself and following your dreams is worth it especially as you see others benefit from the stuff that you're doing. And I hope to only build the podcast from here. I need your help, though. I need as much feedback as possible. Tell me what I can do to make this better. You can email me at Raina at RainaCampbell.com, and I will get back to you. I want to make this a platform, the go-to platform for people starting out who are creatives, who are lifestyle entrepreneurs, people with dreams. I'm so, so thankful to everyone so far who has believed in this dream. And together we can help other people put their dreams in drive. I'll talk to you guys another time, but just know that it's possible. Just know that if you believe in yourself and if you're willing to put in the work, those dreams of yours can come true.